Welcome back to the My Technicians podcast. Today's episode is about how software bills of materials, or SBOMs, can help secure the software supply chain. We talk with Liron Talkman, the CEO of cybersecurity firm Resilion, about what IT professionals should require in these documents from their software vendors. This comes after several high-profile scenarios in recent years, such as the SolarWinds Orion compromise from late 2020 and the log vulnerability that still has wide ramifications on the IT supply chain. Leon says SBOMs can help give IT more visibility into exactly what components go into the software they're using, and this can help them more quickly address critical vulnerabilities. Before we get to that interview, here's a quick reminder to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google to hear weekly interviews with IT experts that can help you make the right decisions for your organization. And now here's Liron. The what I want to what I want to get to right you know during this call is um, you know the importance for the IT department um, to you know request uh, a software bill of materials and you know what they should be looking for in one of those. Okay, so and specifically for IT versus for example Dev, is that correct? Yes. Okay, excellent. So, so the first thing I will say is that the notion of bill of material or asset registry is not a new concept for IT, right? We we had CMDBs for uh, uh, for many years. Uh, we you know a very basic part of IT before and after cloud is understanding uh, is understanding what you have in terms of assets. And therefore, the notion of software bill of material shouldn't be uh, a revolution. It's an evolution, right? Like the same way I need to know what are my assets, what are my servers, uh, what are my, you know, how my network looks like. I need to know what software is running on those servers in this network, right? Um, and the reason it is important is because a lot of the attack surface comes from the software. Right, like it can be your home homegrown software. Your developers are putting vulnerabilities. It can be something coming from the operating system. Right, uh, you may have kernel modules that are vulnerable, or uh, um, libraries, or packages, Reddit packages, right, or uh, Ubuntu packages that are vulnerable. And then obviously, you have all this world of third-party packages, whether they are part of the base image of a container or third-party packages used by developers. So now you have all those code packages and those executables that are part of your environment, and and they all have you know potentially vulnerabilities, and it's one the attack surface is increasing because the amount of software we're pushing to those environments is increasing exponentially. Right, there are more developers, there are more uh, they're deployed more often, um, and then and then the first thing you need to do is let's just understand and control this risk. And you're not going to be able to understand and control this risk if you don't have this basic thing of what is running there, what is my software, what is the bill of material, and from there we can start asking questions like, is it vulnerable? Am I really using it? Where did it come from? <laughs> Who owns it? Right? And and drive from there. But if you don't have this initial bill of material, just if, if you don't know what are your IT assets, you're not going to be able to manage uh, your environment. Same same goes for the software running in it. So what needs to be in in a SBOM? Um, you know, in you know, 
what's what's the baseline for one of those if, if you were an IT person? Say you're a CIO or a CISO. Now, if if a if a company gives you their software bill of materials and doesn't have X in it, um, you know, do you send it back and ask for it? You know what I mean? Like, what what, what needs to be in there? So what you're asking is, if I'm an IT leader and now I'm going to buy software from a vendor, and um, so so first, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday, uh, and there are discussions now in procurement to start asking for S-bombs. And again, it makes a lot of sense. One, because the government may be asking you. So if you're doing any kind of business with the government or someone working for the government or with the government, you know, this thing is kind of transitive, um, then then you're going to be asked for it. So you better you know ask people to work with you for it. Um, and, and I'm already hearing people saying, oh, we just need to be part of procurement, right? Now, um, if there are two main components in an S-bomb. The first one is the SBOM documents, and there are different formats, Cyclone DX, SPDX, we won't go into it, but there are some, actually the government defined, CISA defined what is a minimal SBOM. But at the minimum, a list of all the software packages running in it, in, in, in the specific, let's say you got a VM image or a container image, right? Um, so all the software components running there, uh, who produced them? Right, so who is uh, uh, who is the producer of this software, and then um, and then dependencies. So what other piece of software are included with this software component? Um, so we have source, we have the components, we have the dependencies, and obviously the package name and the package version. So the name and the version, and then there are some optional fees. You know, maybe maybe a hash, maybe uh, some licensed data. Right. So this is one, this is the FBOM document, and this is the basic, basic thing. Um, the second document is something called VEX, Vulnerability Exchange. And this basically, it's a, think of it like an addendum to your SBOM that says, what are the vulnerabilities associated with those components? And what's really interesting in a VEX is that it doesn't just tell you what are the vulnerabilities, it also tells you if those vulnerabilities are impactful, if they're really exploitable, and why. So if you get a VEX from your vendor, right, then you can really understand the exposure you're inheriting. And it's great for you because you understand, okay, here are the vulnerabilities and those are the vulnerabilities that really matter because most does it. And here is how the vendor checks, you know, that those are the vulnerabilities that matter. And it's also great for the vendor because there, you stop having this back and forth where the vendor says, yeah, I scanned it, don't worry, I checked it. No, no, now it's all codified in this VEX. So SBOM and VEX, I think that's the bear. No, that's kind of a really good start. Right. Right. Um, so you know, going on from from the very minimum, um, you know, how have how how best bombs uh, evolved since, let's say, since uh, solar winds happened? So, S bomb traditionally came from IoT. That's where it was first used. Um, and if you think of IoT, IoT devices are pretty static. I mean, yes, you have updates, but those they don't update necessarily every day, not traditionally, you know, and it's all very, very structured. You have a device, someone writes the firmware, the software, they package it, they send it to you, and they can send you an s one with it, right? Um, now, what happened since SolarWinds, and, and we'll talk about Log4j in a minute, and kind of another culmination point for SBOM, is that, is that now we're talking about SBOM not for for a device that was manufactured maybe six months ago, right? And, and was packaged in a single kind of 
a cho you know, choking point, right? There's a single place where you can check it. We're talking about that for, for dynamic and for entire environments, for dynamic things, right? Like uh, um, container images, they get updated every day. Uh, everyone who has, like, let's do a NASBOM for a host, right? And the host is, let's say I have a host serving my customers, right? Uh, and, and I do an NASBOM for it. It changes all the time. So one thing that I think evolved in NASBOM since other one is that the scope of it became bigger. Now we're talking about NASBOM for software providers, for SaaS providers, for, um, uh, you know, for, for everyone who's basically doing something with software, and the result is that now we're going to places that are much more dynamic, right? Now, now we need something that can keep up with the pace of, uh, of the change in the environment. Now, if you look at the tools that are available, most of the tools that are available today, they're still focused on this scenario of I'm going to scan it once when I release it. But the reality is that there, are, there is a release every day. And then in production, after you release it, there continue to be changes all the time. So in Log4j, we saw it, like we're not going to use a, a, a CI-oriented, you know, a dev-oriented scanner to, to scan all your service in production. doesn't make any sense. And the tools that you have for production, the, the think of the classic vulnerability scanners, they don't generate detailed response. So there is a gap that opens when you need to apply the same practices you used to apply on a on a limited scope on a static environment, when you want to apply now to a very, very big environment that constantly changes, the tools don't work, it doesn't work really work great anymore. Right. But why are S-bombs so difficult to, to build? Well, they're difficult to build because they're detailed. For, for an S-bomb to be good, it needs to be very detailed and very granular. Um, and it needs to be accurate. If your asylum is not accurate, then then it's more of a dam it's like more damaging than helpful. It's, right. If it's not if it's not accurate, and to do it, we talk about the dynamic aspect of it, right? So for it to be accurate all the time in an environment that keeps changing is very 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 hard. Uh, but another thing is that um, software can be a little bit like uh, uh, Russian dolls, uh, meaning if you think about software languages like Python, like like uh, Java, uh, you can have nesting, right? You can have software package, the inside software that is packaging another kind of software and they can be packaged in different ways, right? So, so it's not like you're going to, to kind of build a list of the files in your file system and now you have your SBOM. No, you actually need to open every one of those files and go recursively and understand and it's just very, very difficult. And we have seen that with Log4j where companies were in the beginning were just looking to uh, you know find me all the instances all the files named log for with log for j in the file name right dot jar but but then a few days later people realized that it can actually be nested in a file that is not even a jar not even a, a jar file it can be it can be nested deep within and so so you know like how do how do you getting you need to be you, how do you do it wide and deep and dynamic and accurate at the same time, it's, it's all pretty hard. Right, yeah. Yeah, definitely something a monumental task. Um, so is an SBOM now um, a common practice for, for any software provider, uh, you know, to provide their, their customers or is it, you know, still a developing practice? So it, it, it really depends. Uh, I think that 
think there are two ways of thinking about an SBOM. One way to think about an SBOM is this document I need to generate to be compliant and because I, you know, and, and there you will see different levels of maturity, usually based on like how close you are to be a regulated industry, how much you're working with the government. But then, but then I think what we saw in Log4j yeah, the SBOM is more and more becoming a tool uh, and it actually has practical meaning. Again, those companies that had an accurate SBOM could answer the question, do I have Log4j in my environment in five minutes? Mm, right. Those companies that didn't have an accurate SBOM, they spent days. So, so I would say the amount of companies that have a fully mature practice around SBOM is probably pretty, you know, still low, but we're seeing high rates of adoption. I can tell you, that almost every customer, existing new prospect, partner calls this. You know, a year ago, no one would know what the SBOM is. Now we just we just keep hearing about the SBOM and the need for an SBOM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the first things I heard um, you know, after after Solomon's happened. Uh, was that about a little bit over a year ago now? Um, so, you know, do you think an SBOM would have would have um, maybe not? prevented the, the Solomon's compromise or at least, um, you know, stopped it earlier? So when you think about SolarWinds, and again, I, I don't want, I, I wasn't there. Like, I, don't want, sure. I don't want to speak yeah, to yeah. And it's, you know, hindsight is always 2020. Uh, but the, um, it's not enough. So, so, so let's divide your question if, if I made it to. One is if SolarWinds had an accurate one again. I, I, if a company like SolarWinds it was attacked with a similar, sure, attack, sorry, we, don't, it, we, don't, we don't have to get into specifics. And I will yeah, uh, like, attacks like SolarWinds. Okay, let's not talk about SolarWinds because again, I, <laughs> sure, I just wasn't there. Sure, uh, sure. So, so attacks like SolarWinds, right? So let's say a company has a is a good S bomb. Would that help to detect the attack faster? And the answer is yes, but so yes, but like every other thing, an S bomb can be noisy. So if what you if your S bomb if you just get a flat list of files, you know, then it's another it, it may it may be drawn in this list, right? Security has a very bad history of false positives, right? Uh, but if your S bomb is contextual, I will give you an example. Uh, maybe I have a file, but it's it's not really being used or it's not really loading to memory, so. I don't need to worry about it. It's, and most of the files are this way. Maybe I have a file and it's loading to memory and it's communicating to the external world. Now, this is an interesting file. I probably want to look at this file to understand. And another thing is, do I know what happened every day? So can I make the difference between my SBOM today and my SBOM tomorrow? And do I know where things came from? Like if what I'm saying is that uh, uh, we talk about the bare minimum SBOM versus the contextual SBOM. Or the big, so so, what would really help a company to to avoid those kind of situations is to have an S bomb that is rich in dynamic context <laughs> that would allow them to to kind of focus their energy on those places where on those interesting files. And the second question, the second part of it is once you know SolarWinds was breached, having an S bomb would would would, would having an S bomb help? Um, uh, you know, to uh, to fix it, then I, I can tell you the answer is with, Oliver, with, with some customers, right? They, so when we broke out, we had, there was like hash, you can know exactly what file it is. And, you know, because 
our customers had a very accurate F-bomb, we could show them immediately where it is, and we could also tell them if it's really being used or if, it's, or if it doesn't do anything in their environment, so nothing happened, right? So you can actually focus them on, uh, on those places where, where SolarWinds was and where, it was, uh, and, where, and where it was actually a real threat and where it was, you know, a silent or dead threat. Um, and, and, and so for the response, the S-bomb is invaluable for sure. Aside from um, security, you know, what does Nespawn provide IT? Um, so a few things. The first thing is governance. Like one of the things we see our customer doing is that every day they can go to our console and see what things were added today. And of those things, what things are actually executing. And of those things that are actually executing, which of them are in a place that the network actually care about. So it kind of gives you inside this it allows you to understand the drift day over day, right? So drift is a big problem in IT. Um, and being able to control the drift is something you can do with an S-bomb on the software level. This is one thing. So drift control is one thing. And being able to understand how the environment is changing is one big thing that is valuable for more than just security. The second thing is debloating. One of the things we're seeing is that a lot of the software components that are out there are not really being used. Uh, they're not really loading to memories, they're not being executed. And if you have this knowledge, right, um, then you can start reducing your technical debt because this dead code, it generates alerts, it generates bugs, generates vulnerabilities. So, you know, kind of clean up the environment from, from bloated code. Right. And then and the last thing is that use case we've seen customer doing with SBOM. You know the classic, uh, we're going to retire this framework. We're going to retire this. And, and then you come back two years later and you see it's still there, right? It's, it's a classic thing in IT. Uh, well, if you can imagine you can just go and look for all the versions of this thing you need to retire and see if you actually retired it or not, right? Right, like, right. yeah. That makes sense. Awesome, very good. Um, Liron, thanks very much. I, uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Zachary.